John chapter 6, we're going to pick up in verse number uh, 14. Uh, Jesus has uh, just fed the 5,000 men. Of course, there was, we know there was more than uh, 5,000 there. There was women, there was children. Jesus does one of these wonderful miracles, and John tells some about it. Of course, the other Gospels also tell about the feeding of the 5,000. John, uh, of course, shed some light on different details than some of the other disciples or other disciples that wrote uh, these Gospels. Uh, you can find these different accounts in the Synoptic Gospels. Some miracles are mentioned in John that are only uh, in John. Others are in the other books, and you can see different lights. So we're going to look at today the book of John, chapter 6. But we're also going to focus on uh, the book of Matthew and a little bit of Mark on this same story. And I want us to look at John, chapter 6. And here's what happens in verse number 14. At the end of the feeding of the 5,000, it says this, Then those men, now notice this, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Now this is what the Jews had been looking for. They had been looking for that prophet. The prophet that Moses was speaking of in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse number 15. He said that God would raise up a capital P prophet. And so since God had delivered Israel and used Moses to do it, they thought that Jesus was the New Testament Moses that was going to deliver his people from the domination of Rome. So they were happy. They're like, man, this, this, this prophet can, can break bread and he can break fish and he can feed thousands of people. And that is amazing. Look with me though in verse number 15. The story shifts just a little bit. And when Jesus therefore perceived, Jesus knew, He perceived that they would come and take Him by force. Notice what they were going to do. To make Him a king, He departed again into a mountain Himself alone. So these people were so enthralled, they were so amazed at what Jesus had just done that they were going to take Him by force. They were going to literally get Him and possibly bind Him and lead Him to Jerusalem and coronate Him and crown Him king so that He would defeat the armies of Israel. They did not see that He was Messiah. They did not see that He was Savior. Even His own disciples did not understand what Jesus was there to do. They were going to force Him and take Him and make Him king. Here's what happens. Look at the latter part of verse 15. He departed again into a mountain Himself alone. So here Jesus, instead of being taken by force, Jesus compels or constrains His disciples, according to Matthew. He constrains His disciples to get into a boat and to go to the other side. He then sends the multitudes away. And Jesus, instead of going with the multitudes, instead of going with the disciples, Jesus backs up and goes into the mountain area alone to pray. I believe at this time He's praying for the disciples. I'll show you why. Look at verse number 16. And even now he was come 
even was now come, meaning the evening time, his disciples went down into the sea. They entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now, notice this, it was dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason a great wind that blew. And when they had rowed about five and twenty and thirty furlings, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh to the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the text. Thank you for the word of God and his power. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to hearts today as it did earlier. Lord, we'll be sure to give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. John doesn't offer comment on why he includes this story in the text. He just gives us a compressed view of what the following narrative. And he goes back to the feeding of the 5,000 as Jesus expounds on being the bread of life... You then have to ask, why did John include this sign, the feeding of the 5,000, in this gospel? I believe if we go to John chapter 1 and verse number 14, we'll see the reason that John included this in John's gospel. The Bible says in verse 14 of John 1, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The reason that Jesus did the miracles was for the glory of God. That they would see He is God in the flesh. It was not so that He would be some type of rock star, some type of popular uh, celebrity. It wasn't that He would be a politician or, or that He would as they wanted to be a king. He was wanting to give His Father the glory. Verse 14, it says, And of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The reason that Jesus had broke the bread and gave the fish to these people and fed them until they were full. And by the way, fed them enough to where they could take some to-go home, some trays home full of fish and hush puppies and, and, and french fries, right? He takes, and there's enough for them to be filled. He then... The crowd is captivated. They want to constrain him or, or, or take him rather and, and, and take him to be king. And Jesus is alone to pray. So it's reasonable to assume, according to our text, that the disciples here are, are confused. They're, they're disappointed as they were trying to, to go across this, this lake, this sea. And they're trying to go across and listen. A storm rages. The the Bible says in verse number 17, it's dark. It's very dark. And Jesus was not come to them. They're in the middle of the storm. They're confused. They're they're somewhat uh, irritated, I'm sure. And now they're scared to death. Because Jesus is back on land alone. And they're in the midst of the storm. Rowing and fighting and laboring against the storm, scared to death. Then Jesus comes to them walking on the water. According to verse number 19, He walks on the water to them to show them that although He did not meet their expectation of being a Messiah King, 
That He would show them that He's Lord over all creation. And I want to give you a few things that God spoke to my heart this week about our text that will apply to you today. And I believe it will help you. The number one thing that I want to say is, first I want to say this, Jesus will meet you in that dark place. Let me say this, number one, Jesus does not want followers who have misconceptions about who He is or who use Him for their own purposes. Go back with me to verse number 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Verse 15, And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take Him by force to make Him king, He departed again into a mountain Himself alone. So instead of them being relieved and excited and and thrilled, they're more confused, they're disappointed that this Jesus that had just performed this miracle is not meeting up their expectations of what they wanted Him to do. They had the wrong kind of thinking. And listen, church, I hope that this does not describe you this morning. I hope that you can't say that I'm trying to use Jesus or you have a misconception of Jesus using Jesus for your own purpose, for your own good. I'll give you an illustration. A few, it's been longer than a few years ago. It's been about five years ago, I'd imagine, in that old auditorium. There was a husband and a wife that came one Sunday morning. Actually, they had come several Sundays in a row, if I remember right. Two or three Sundays in a row. And one Sunday, I don't know what I preached, but I remember them coming down to the altar and they were both weeping, but especially the woman. She was weeping uh, and crying very... uh, It was almost uncontrollable. Well, after the service, it had gotten my attention and she was still kind of wiping tears and stuff. and, And so I walked up to them. They were still at the front of that old auditorium down there. And I walked up to them and I said, Hey, I said, I know you have only visited for a few weeks, but... Can I pray for y'all? I mean, what, what's going on? And she said, God, we felt like God had led us from this certain state. They moved here from, a, from another state. And God had led us from this state and brought us down here for this good job. She had a really good job. And then all of a sudden, when we got down here, he took that job from us. And here's what she said. And I am so angry at God. I am so angry at God. God has led us down here and then He abandons us. As if God had given her and led her this job and now since God no longer, she has the job, now she just turns her anger toward God. I said, ma'am, I'd love to pray for you. And of course we did. We prayed and, and, and they left. And honestly, I, I didn't see them even after that. I'm not sure. But as I was writing some of this stuff down, I prayed for them because I hadn't seen them in years. Don't know if they ever got right. Don't know if they ever got the job. Don't know what happened if they moved back. But I know this. The last time they were on this property, as far as I know, they were upset at God. They felt abandoned. They felt left. She had a misconception about who Christ is. She wanted Him to use her for her own happiness. Let me just say, whether you have a job or not, God is still good. 
whether things in your life are doing great or things your health is doing. Hey, listen, God's goodness is not based on our circumstances. Whether you're in the dark in the middle of a lake and you don't know where you are, God is still good. We cannot get angry at a good God. And so we see that Jesus does not want his followers who have a misconception about who he is. He's good only when I get a job. He's good only when I get married. He's good only when my kids are behaving. He's good only when we find a church. He's good only when things are going great. No, no, no. God is good all the time. All the time. The second thing is this. Jesus wants followers who grow to know Him and trust Him. This is the message. Jesus wants followers or disciples who grow to know Him and trust Him for who He really is. I love this verse in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55, and you don't have to turn there, but Isaiah 55 and verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways or your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Verse 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's what I want to say about that particular verse. That part of growing to know the Lord is growing to know His ways. And understanding, listen church, look at me. His ways are not our ways. And when we finally understand that we should submit not to our way, but to His way... That's when the blessings will flow. Well, I thought that's your problem. Well, I assumed that's your problem. Well, I just maybe thought that uh, things would work out a little better. They are. It'll blow your mind when you submit to His ways. Oh, yes. Listen. A good indicator of how you're responding to His ways are this. Now, remember this. A good indicator of how you're submitting to His ways are this. You're only doing one or two things. Either you're grumbling or you're giving thanks. That's a good indicator of how you know you're spiritually right. In the midst of the storm, are you grumbling or are you giving thanks? Oh, but I didn't expect this. Neither did I. But let me just remind you, God ain't asleep. Jesus ain't up there twiddling his thumbs, playing tag with the angels. He ain't up there uh, playing hide and go seek from you. He's up there praying for you. Let me just give you a couple things about this particular point and we'll be done. First thing I want you to know is this, and this thing of trusting him as we grow. The first thing we see is this, we grow to know and trust Jesus and his person. Through trials that He puts us through. We, we, we grow to know and trust Jesus' person through trials that He puts us through. Now, John tells us, let's go back to John 6. John tells us that Jesus withdrew to the mountain by Himself alone. So the disciples get in this boat. They started across the sea without him. And John adds a puzzling statement to verse number 17. I want you to look with me in verse number 17 at the very end. The Bible says, and it was now dark. What does dark mean in the Greek? Dark. 
means you can't see. It's the same thing that it means in the Hebrew. And the same thing that it means in the English. It's dark. And Jesus was not come to them. That's the phrase. And Jesus was not come to them. That means that Jesus was not where they are. Maybe, maybe it, John anticipates the rest of the story. Maybe that Jesus would shortly come. But he hadn't come yet. So the disciples were on this sea in the dark storm. And the, and the really big factor is they are without Jesus. And not only was Jesus not with them, but he lets them struggle in the storm for a good while. Matter of fact, look with me in verse 18. And the sea arose by reason of great wind that blew. Now notice this in verse 19. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs. I, I did furlongs, tried to measure them up. We're talking about three and a half miles across the water. Jesus is over here praying in the mountains alone. The multitudes are on the other side. Nobody around. It's pitch black. The, the, the disciples are out there rowing, fighting against the waves, crying, screaming out. And Jesus just stands there and prays alone for a good while. The Bible says, I believe it's in another... I believe it might be in Matthew, maybe Mark, that it's the fourth hour, the fourth watch... So the time frame when they're in this storm would be around 3 in the morning to 6 in the morning. And maybe they're exhausted. I'm sure they're exhausted from fighting the waves. And maybe at some point they thought about turning the boat around and letting the wind drive them back to where they came from. At that great point of where they are, they're in great need of Jesus. If we could interview John, the writer of this gospel as he recalls the events of what he's writing down, he would probably say this, it was an awful thing to be on the lake in the dark without Jesus. It's an awful thing to be on the lake in, in the storm in a boat without Jesus. But if, I had, if He had not sent us into that situation, we have not seen His glory or His power when He had come to us. The fresh vision of who Jesus is made it worth all the toil and the anxiety. Let me just say that also the storm maybe kept them from joining that crowd that wanted to crown Jesus. You ever thought that storm that you're going through right now may be keeping you from something? Oh, I hate the storm. I hate this that I'm in. It could be worse. You could be over there with the multitudes that's wanting to put a crown on Jesus. And wanting to force him to do something that he's not here to do. What's worse? Jesus sent them into the storm. I'd much rather be sent by Jesus than sent to the multitudes. Here's the second thing we see. We grow to know and trust Jesus' person through trials. But we also grow to know Jesus, his purpose in the trials. I believe one of the main lessons of the Christian life is that God's purpose is not centered on me and my glory. It's all about Jesus. It's all about His glory. 
God's purpose is to sum up all things in Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you what Paul said to this church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1. Look with me in verse number, six, uh, verse number 10. Ephesians 1 and verse number 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together, this is it, in one, all things in Christ, both, both are which in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So you think about it. To that end, He is working all things in our lives for His glory. And maybe you're thinking this morning, but I thought He was working all things together for my good. In Romans 8, 28. But you need to read 29 and 30. It's so that you would be conformed to the image of His Son. Well, we don't like that. I don't like this trial. See, the trial is not for you to receive glory. The trial is for Him to receive glory. And it's to conform you into the image of His Son. So the trial that you hate, you might as well start liking it. Because He's knocking off of you what does not look like Him. It doesn't feel good. I don't like this. I don't like all of it. I, I don't either. But it is what He wants for His glory. Not your glory. You don't go through trials and say, well, look what I accomplished. I got through that pretty good. Look at what I... Nobody comes... We ought to come through and say, God got me through that. Glory be to His name. Hey, the trial of your suffering, whatever it is, the cancer, the, the, the marriage, the wayward children, the job situation, finances, whatever it is, whatever trial you're in, let God get His glory. You will be more like Him we see that if you look in verse number 6 of Ephesians 1, he says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. If you go down to, uh, I believe it's verse number 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Skip down to verse number 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. He keeps talking about the praise of his glory. Not your glory. We should not glory save in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing I want us to see. We grow to know and trust Jesus' providence in the trials He puts us through. The providence. Listen to this. The disciples here... Now look at this. Don't miss it. The disciples went from a mountaintop experience of the feeding of the 5,000. They were up here. They're up there passing out fish sandwiches. I mean, buddy, they are just saying, wow, look at this. We even got 12 to-go bags. ready." To, I mean, we're good. They go from that to a storm. That's how quick things can change. They go from the mountaintop to the valley of a violent storm as they struggle across the sea without Jesus being with them. And just as Jesus knew what He would do in feeding the 5,000, He also knew that He was sending His disciples into a storm. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. The same story, but in a different light. John, uh, Mark chapter 6, and look at with me in verse 48. The Bible says, And He saw them toiling and rowing, 
For the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night, so about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Jesus actually sees them. But how does Jesus see them in the dark? Remember, it's dark. It's storming. This speaks of Jesus' omniscience. His omnipresence. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's there in the storm. When everybody walks out, Jesus walks in. When a friend forsakes you, He's there to the very end. He's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's the one in the midst of the storm. And Jesus sees them toiling and rowing. And they're at least three or four miles away. How does Jesus know where they are? You say, Pastor, how does, how does He know where I'm at? He knows. And He cares. My wife and I have Life 360. She always knows where I'm at. And, and the reason she did is because I, I might be in a gun store, Cabela's, or somewhere where I might spend money. So she'll send me that text. Whatever you're about to do, don't do it. Now, how she, where's she at? But there are some places that Life 360 won't go. Got to have a signal. Got to know something. There's sometimes when that phone fails and it turns off and it just cuts off and the power battery dies that I wouldn't know where she's at. She wouldn't know where I'm in the middle of a storm. We've got it for our children. We've got it both for our, uh, my mom and, and, and her mother, I believe. We, 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 we're wanting to know, just in case of an emergency, we can look and say, where are you at? How can I come? How can I help you? Jesus didn't have Life 360 because He is Life 360. He knows, by the way, where you are. You say, Pastor, nobody knows the, the, the times I go to bed at night and cry myself to sleep. Nobody knows when I, I'm in a restroom by myself and I'm crying and all alone and, and looking in the mirror and hating myself and, and thinking these thoughts. Hey, God knows where you're at. He knows what you need. He's there in the storm with you right where you are. We grow to know and trust Jesus' providence Jesus had to know exactly where they were on the stormy sea to walk exactly to where they are. And they thought they were alone. They were really not alone. They learned that even though they didn't know it, Jesus was fully aware of their circumstances. And let me just say this about God's providence. God's providence means nothing happens to us apart from His sovereign will. His loving will. Jesus isn't asleep in heaven. Jesus didn't die during COVID. Jesus didn't fall apart during all this pandemic mess. Jesus didn't say, oh, I've lost control of the world. I don't know what's going on. He's full aware. He's full aware. And He knows. And He is there praying for us in the midst of the storm. Here's the next thing. We grow to know and trust Jesus' power in the trials that He puts us through. Now you remember this. The disciples had just seen Jesus create bread and fish. Five loaves, two fishes, and He creates thousands. 
they just witnessed this. Now they see Him as the Lord over His creation as He walks on the water. Can I say that our trials cannot prevent Him coming to where we are? Oh, Pastor, I'm going to tell you right now, there's no way out of this situation. There's no way out. I'm telling you, this is bad. This is deep. This is terrible. There is no way out. Oh, listen, when it seems like there's no way, He'll make a way. The only man to ever walk on water and not drown. You say, well, how about Peter? He was an... Don't give Peter credit. The hero of the story is not Peter. It's Jesus. Peter about died. If Jesus wouldn't rescued him, Peter would have drowned that night. Peter's not the hero. Jesus is the hero. By the way, you're not the hero either. Neither am I. He'll come to where we are. And at the same time, it's not always His will to use His power to deliver us. You say, well, well I'm, I'm expecting Him to deliver me out of this storm. He may or He may not. He spared Peter out of prison, but He kept James in there and James was beheaded. He rescued these disciples off the sea, but John the Baptist lost his head. Why ain't Jesus got me out of this trial yet? Could it be that it's not His will to get you out of that trial? You're still fighting. You're still resisting. Here's the last thing. We grow to know and trust Jesus' presence. This is the best part. We grow to know and trust Jesus' presence in the trials that He puts us through. Look at verse number 20. But He saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Oh, I love it. In the midst of the trial, Jesus steps out there on that water. Storms raging. Jesus says, hey boys, be not afraid. It is I. You say, preacher, what's it is I in the Greek? It means I am. The same thing that Jesus said in, in John eight fifty eight. He said, before Abraham was, I am. You know what? He is the great I am in the midst of the storm. You can always, listen to this. You can always, always, always trust in Him. A lot of people want to turn to a lot of different things in the storm. A lot of people want to turn to all kinds of different stuff. I don't know, we could list a whole bunch of things that people turn to. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say sometimes people in the midst of a storm, they'll turn to therapy. Nothing wrong with therapy. There are some people I'm sure that qualify for it. But let me tell you, you, if they leave Jesus out of it, you don't need it. How in the world can you get peace without Jesus? If your psychologist is telling you all kinds of psychobabble and leaving Jesus out of it, you need a new psychologist. Oh, preacher, I can't believe you just said that these people have been to school. And the school needs Jesus. The professor needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And here you are running to lost people to cure a spiritual problem. Yeah. A lot of people turn to alcohol and drugs and premarital sex and adultery. 
all kinds of different junk to fill a void in the midst of the storm. They'll turn to tempting things and sinful things. And when they could just listen to that still small voice. Jesus didn't come over and scream at them. He said, it is I. Be not afraid. I am the one who created this. I am the one that created the water. I am the one that created the clouds. I am the one that created the wind. I am the one that created all of this. I can tell it to go away. And Jesus, His presence. But I want you to notice what else happened in verse 21. This is the best part. Then they willingly received Him into the ships. Here's what people do. They want to jump off the ship. When the going gets tough... Brother Lee, it's amazing to me when the going gets tough in people's life, they'll abandon the church. That has baffled my mind, Brother Bobby, for years on when life gets tough, people want to bail out of the ship. When they should in their life say, I willingly receive you, Jesus, into the ship. Do you read that in verse 21? They willingly received him into the ship. You know what that means? That willingly... I can see the disciples jumping in Jesus' arms and screaming and saying, Oh, thank God we never thought you'd ever come out here and rest. Oh, Jesus! Hey, why? Because He's the only one that can help. They willingly received Him. Let me just say this. You're trying to battle the storm on your own? Because you can't. You can talk. Just toil and row and fight. and Oh, I'm going to get through this one way or the other. I'm going to get... No, you ain't. You're going to wear yourself out. You're beating against the wind. I have a preacher friend. He's preaching here August the 9th. Scott Gray. I was with Scott this week. We were preaching at the youth conference. And me and Scott were sitting down one morning. He said, preacher, he said, I preached at a youth camp last summer. Did you hear this story? I said, No. He said, I was at this, this camp in Louisville, Kentucky, and he said, these kids were swimming in this big lake. And he said, I thought I would be like Mr. Macho and jump in the lake and swim to the other side. He said, I'm a pretty good swimmer. He said, actually, I'm a real good swimmer. He said, but when I went and jumped in in my clothes and got halfway across the lake, my body gave out. He said, I couldn't swim anymore. And he said, I went under. And he said, one of the men seen me on the edge of the bank. He said, it wasn't honestly like a really huge lake. But he said, it was a, like a, more of a pond. But he said, one of the guys on the bank saw me go down. He couldn't swim, but he's running out there to try to save me. And the lifeguards see the commotion. And the guy said, he went down here. He said, I went 12 feet to the bottom. He said, literally, the last thing I remember is water coming down. He said, I was gone. And three lifeguards jumped in and went to the bottom and drug him to the top and and, and performed CPR on him and saved his life. He said, preacher, I thought that I could swim across there. He said, but you have no idea when you're in the water how much energy and strength it takes to swim across something. Imagine being in a boat fighting for hours against a storm. After a while, you'd say, you know what? We're dead. I can't do it anymore. You cannot fight on your own. You'll drown. But look what's happening. 
I'm, I'm through. Look at verse 21. They willingly received him into the ship and immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. You know what I believe? As soon as Jesus got in the ship, they were on shore. He says immediately. Turn with me to Mark 6 real quick. I want you to see what Mark says about this. Look with me in verse 49. Jacob, you can come on up here if you would. Look with me in verse 49. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it to be a spirit and cried out. They thought it was a ghost. And I'm afraid of ghosts too, by the way. I'd be crying out too. For, all, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now notice verse 51. And he went up unto the ship and the wind ceased. And they were sore, amazed themselves beyond measure and wonder. So the storm stopped. They're on the shore. John says immediately. But notice the next verse. For they considered not the miracles of the loaves. For their heart was hardened. They had done for God after this storm about the loaves. The miracle. And, and, and the writer, John Mark, tells us why. Because their heart was hardened. They could not see that this is the Christ. This is the one that can fix every problem. This is the one that can heal every heart. This is the one that can save every soul. This is the Christ. Listen, ask yourself this morning the question. How is my heart would I willingly receive Christ into the ship? What are you trying to fight the storm with on your own? Some of you going through storms this morning. Storms of doubt. Storms of discouragement. Storms of all kinds of questioning and confusion. Whatever it, whatever it is. What are you trying to fight and battle the storm with without Jesus? Just willingly receive Him into the ship. Don't be a follower who only follows Him for what you can get out of Him. Don't be a follower who don't trust Jesus. Let's trust Him with all we have.